in the past 20 years. These are all in the name of liberalism. So this is the status quo and it is toxic to Muslims, it is toxic to Islam. We are enemy number one when it comes to liberalism. So what is liberalism and what is, what is its history? Liberalism began in the 18th century. One of the names for the beginning ages of liberalism is the age of enlightenment within Europe, particularly France and Britain and also Germany and continental Europe. And the idea that they had, to keep it very brief, is that we don't need God and we don't need the Bible and we don't need the church to tell us what is right and wrong. These are tyrants. God is a tyrant. Religion is tyranny. We have to free our minds from this tyranny. We have to break away from the chains and we don't need God. We can determine what is right and wrong using our own minds, using science and using reason. We can determine what is right and wrong. We can determine how to organize our societies. This was a rebellion from the beginning, a rebellion against God, a rebellion against organized religion. And it began in Europe. And they call it the Age of Enlightenment. But what did it lead to? It led to what is called historically the Reign of Terror. The Reign of Terror, which was precipitated by the French Revolution. This was in 1799. There was a revolution to overthrow the church, to overthrow the French monarchy. And it was extremely brutal. They killed priests by the thousands. They killed Christians by the hundreds of thousands and they took over the churches and they said, we're not worshiping God anymore. We're worshiping the idol of reason and science and enlightenment. And they literally, they created a religion of reason and they took over churches and they put their idols of reason in those churches to worship. This was a mockery of religion and specifically uh, Christianity, but they also were aware of, they were enemies to all religions, including Islam. And one of the uh, famous French writers, Voltaire, you may have heard of him, wrote a play to mock the Prophet Muhammad So from the very beginning of the Enlightenment, Islam was a big enemy. Christianity was a big enemy. So the first target was Christianity. And millions of Christians were killed within Europe by the enlightened absolutists. These were the proponents of liberalism, this concept of liberalism. And they said that religion is holding humanity back. Religion is holding people back from progress, from enlightenment from development this was their ideology so we have to eliminate religion and they started with christianity and whoever resisted they called radicals the first radicals weren't the muslims the first radicals fundamentalists were catholics actually and the catholic church and the french actually declared the pope in the Vatican as essentially a terrorist. 
He's a fundamentalist, a terrorist, because why? Because he believes that humans should dictate their lives according to revelation, according to God's commands. This is backwards. This is going to destroy humanity. So Catholics are enemy number one. We have to suppress them. We have to take them from position, governmental positions. We have to seize their assets. We have to seize their land. We have to defund the church. And it led to actual genocide. This is the history of Europe. But it, it wasn't contained in Europe. It spread to the rest of the world through colonialism. And the history of, the, of colonialism is a 200-year history. It spread to, first, North Africa. Napoleon went to Egypt. The French went to North Africa, to Algeria. And they slaughtered. They killed, they maimed, they tortured, all in the name of freedom, reason, enlightenment. So this is a radical ideology, a bloodthirsty ideology with an extremely bloody history, not just for Muslims, but also for Jews, for Christians, for Hindus, for Buddhists. This is the colonial history. They study it. You go to the university and they study uh, colonialism and they have decolonial studies. How do we decolonize ourselves in the modern world? So this is, this is a real history that we need to understand. We need to understand that this is the ideology that has been used to dominate Muslims and the rest of humanity for 200 plus years. And if we don't recognize this history and we don't recognize that this is the enemy, how are we going to respond? How are we going to protect ourselves? How are we going to protect our children? Is it possible? No. If you don't know the enemy, how can you protect against the enemy? So this is an enemy that has an extremely bloody history. But for us in a country like Australia, or the U.S., or the West in general, it's ideological. It's brainwashing. It's taking Iman out of our communities, slowly but surely. And why? Why is this? Why is it ideological? Because the colonizer recognized that you can't just kill the Muslim. You can't just kill Muslims or, for that matter, Christians or whatever religion. You can't just kill them. You have to kill the idea. But how do you kill the idea? You can't just go to Muslims and say, leave your religion. They're not going to accept that. You have to be tricky about it. You have to be sly. So what do they say? They say that we're, we're not here to take you out of your religion. We just want to reform your religion. We want to bring your religion in line with modern values and progress. Don't you want to progress? Don't you want to adopt human rights? Who, want, who rejects human rights? Who rejects women's rights? Who, re who rejects freedom and equality? These are values that everyone has. So we don't want you to leave your religion. We just want you to reform your religion. And unfortunately, many fall for this. 
Many religions fall for this. And that's, that's why we see Christians who have become so liberal and have, they've abandoned so many of their previous values and practices and beliefs. Same with Jews and Hindus and Buddhists, Sikhs. Many of the things that Muslims and Islam is criticized for today are found and were found in all of these other religions and in, in their books. So this is the challenge for Muslims. Can we resist? Can we stand strong in the face of this kind of extreme pressure? So let's define what is liberalism. Liberalism is associated with freedom, equality, democracy, human rights, maximizing your individual liberty, these concepts. So when we say liberal, we don't mean left-wing. Liberalism actually is defined as maximizing freedom and equality. How do we maximize individual liberty and the equality of all people? That's, that's the definition of liberalism. And every Western political ideology falls under this overarching umbrella of liberalism with a capital L. All the political ideologies, socialism, capitalism, communism, even fascism, all of these ideologies, feminism, democratic representationalism, anarchism, all of these fall under the larger umbrella of liberalism. How so? Because all of these ideologies are concerned with how to maximize individual liberty and equality. How do we maximize a person's what do we mean by liberty? Your, your right to live however you want as an individual. You have the right to live however you want. To, to pursue happiness. To have maximum choice. And we want equality for all people. This is what liberalism is. It sounds pretty good. And that's the problem. It sounds good because it's deceptive. So when you present that as liberalism, what's the alternative? The alternative that they'll say is that, okay, we're offering maximum freedom, maximum equality of all people, tolerance, human rights. What are you offering, Muslims? Your sharia? Your barbaric laws, Islamic law? You oppressing your women. You do not accept certain sexual practices. You don't allow people to live how they want. You dictate to people how they should dress. This is barbaric. This is backwards. This is contrary to freedom and equality. You say, for example, you Muslims, that you have to... Allah only accepts Islam and all other religions are rejected? This, where's the equality in that? This is inequality. This is intolerant. This is hateful. 
How can any rational person accept these values, these ideas in your religion? This is, this is the way that they talk about Islam. And before Islam, they were talking about this, this way, about Judaism, about Christianity. How about the Native Americans? The Native Americans in North America, they were also attacked by the founding fathers, by the American colonies. And their religion was, they were not only genocided as a people, their religion was also attacked. Did you know that the Native Americans practiced polygyny, having multiple wives? They were attacked for this, and look at these savages. They, have, they, have, they practice polygyny. One man with multiple wives, what could be more backwards and anti-woman than this? So they, they use the same kinds of arguments for multiple different religions. So this is, this is how they portray Islam. And the pressure is that certain people are weak. And they can't withstand the pressure, so they start making compromises, they start selling out, they start, you know, waffling and changing their religion or hiding their religion. This is the challenge that we face. This is the ideological challenge that we face. So how do we respond? What kind of arguments we can use intellectually? Because it's not enough, it's not enough, uh, for example, if you say that, okay, I don't care what these disbelievers say. I don't care for them, they're criticizing Islam. I don't care. This is not the best response. This is not meaning the challenge. For you as an individual, as an individual Muslim, okay, that's, that's good. Have that kind of mindset. You only care about the pleasure of Allah. That's good. But it's also shying away from the challenge. Because what they're saying is that liberalism is the best way of life. And these values are the most rational and they're the most moral values that human beings can have. And we're challenging your religion and you're just running away. Or you're closing your ears and your eyes. So we have to have a response. We have to. Ex we claim that Islam is the best way of life from Allah that has been revealed, and it's superior to any and every man-made ideology. That's our claim. So we have to substantiate that. We have to give evidence for that. We have to. Uh, in a in rational discussion and discourse, we have to establish that. And alhamdulillah, that's not difficult to do. And it doesn't require any kind of complicated philosophy or any kind of uh, anything that's difficult to understand. And it it is the most rational religion. It is the most rational way of life, the most moral way of life. So we can discuss this and we can do, this is what da'wah is. This is what calling to Islam is. So how do we do that? There are, there are multiple ways 
to discuss this. So if we maximize freedom and equality, this is a type of extremism. Why? Because human life is about more than just your individual choice. What you want to do as an individual. There are other important values that everyone universally recognizes. What are examples of other important things, institutions, practices in life other than just having the right to eat what you want, drink what you want, sleep with whoever you want? Is there anything else in life that's more valuable than this? Who says yes? Who says no? Okay, you guys are not communicating. <laughs> So can you tell me an example? What was that? Family. Family? Society. Society as a whole? Human dignity. Itself. Human dignity? That's a great answer. Yeah. Following Allah's commandments. Following Allah's commandments, your relationship to Allah, your relationship to your creator. Yes. Knowing when to stop yourself from self-destruction. Great answer. The fitra, who, your human nature. These are excellent answers. These are, it's not just Muslims who are saying these are valuable things. All of humanity recognizes, because that's our nature, that's the fitra. Your family, marriage, your relationship with your a spouse. These are universal values. Human nature. Do we want... Do uh, non-Muslims want humanity, human nature to be destroyed? Well, that's what liberalism does. That's what liberalism creates, as I'll explain. Liberalism is designed to destroy every single way of life, every single culture, every single religion. Liberalism is like a cancer in this way. It destroys. And that's why we see all of these cultures and religions throughout the world destroyed. It started with colonialism and it continues to this day. So how does liberalism destroy marriage, for example? Sure. Allowing promiscuity and uh, lacking getting rid of modesty. Excellent. It allows promiscuity and it gets rid of modesty. Excellent answer. Yes. Feminism. Feminism, yes. So let's think about it carefully. How does promiscuity, how does lack of modesty destroy marriage? Well, the human being is by nature wants to have an exclusive relationship, a commitment. This is universal, not just Muslims. You want your spouse to not cheat on you behind your back. This is universal. And if she does this or he does this, that destroys the marriage. You have no more trust. But what does liberalism, liberalism say? It says you as an individual need to explore. If you have a certain desire, you need to explore that, pursue that. You like what you see, go and taste it. That's what liberalism says. That's what maximizing individual liberty means. If you have to hold back from what you desire, from your shahawat, 
from your hawa. That's going to that's like a chain. Why shouldn't you be able to practice adultery? Why shouldn't you be able to practice fornication? If that's what you want, that's what you desire, you should have the choice and the liberty to do that. And it's only backwards religious people who say that you should not engage in this behavior. And this is why we see this concept of open marriages or polyamory is another word for it. And they tell themselves, oh yeah, we're in a happy marriage. We just are free to be with whoever we want on any particular night. But these people are lying to themselves. Those, those, that's not a marriage. Those marriages don't last. And sometimes they end up in a lot of violence because of jealousy. And the reason that this happens is that human beings, we've been created in a certain way. We've been created to have this kind of attachment to a partner. We need that commitment in order for love to grow and for affection to grow. But the individual liberty will destroy that. How does a man feel if his wife is flirting with every other guy out there? How does a man feel if his wife is not being modest? It's not just Muslims. And even the atheist. If his wife behaves in that immodest way because she's, pursue, she's empowered, she's a boss, she's a queen, she can do whatever she wants, that will destroy the marriage. That will, that will literally destroy the marriage. The other thing about promiscuity is that the scientific research shows that the more partners a woman has in particular, but this also affects men, the more partners your wife has had prior to you, the more likely she's going to be dissatisfied with you as her husband. And the more likely it is that you will get divorced. So this pursuit of individual liberty and empowerment, it is antithetical to marriage. It destroys marriage. What about family? The institution of family. Who doesn't value the institution of family? This is a universal value. It's not just in Islam. Liberalism destroys family. How? And they teach this to children in school. They say that your parents, they don't understand you. Your parents are from a different time, a different era. And they're going to hold you back from things that you want to do. Sometimes you have to keep certain things secret from your parents. Don't tell them. They won't understand. If they don't allow you to do what you want to do, that actually constitutes child abuse. Tell the school administrators and we'll help you get out of you know this toxic relationship of your family. This is literally what they teach children. So the idea of obedience to your parents, obeying your parents, being devoted to your parents, respecting your parents, they destroy that. So how can you have a family without a this kind of reciprocal relationship between a parent and child, between mother and son, mother and daughter, father and son, father and daughter, the family bonds will break. What about the idea of taking care of your parents when in their old age? Taking care of el the elderly. If you have to take care of your parents, what about what you want?
What about what what about your dreams? What about what you want to do? Maybe you want to travel the world. You don't have time to take care of your old man. Good thing we have, you know, these elderly care centers that are so convenient, you're allowed, you can now pursue your dreams and your hopes without being chained by your old man or your mom. This is the promise of liberalism. This is the, you know, shiny dream, the utopia. All the elderly in the nursing homes, you travel the world and you enjoy all the best restaurants and you go and sleep with a new person every night, for example. This is what liberalism promises. It destroys the family. It destroys Look at the number of elderly that are working minimum wage jobs. They're supposed to be enjoying their twilight years with a large family who loves them and respects them and honors them and takes care of them. Instead, you have a 75-year-old working at McDonald's. Why? Because he has no family. He has to uh, make money for rent. That's, that's what's happening to the elderly in society. This is what liberalism has created. It has created this situation. <coughs> so this is not something that is affecting just Muslims. This affects all of society. And that's why this is the best da'wah. When we bring Islam as the solution. And I engage in a lot of debates uh, with liberals. Liberal Christian, liberal atheist, whatever. And this is my message to them. I say, as a human being, you value family, don't you? You value marriage, don't you? You value society, don't you? Look at the society and the, the lack of family, the lack of marriage that has been created by liberalism. What's the solution to this? What's the solution to this massive problem? The solution is Islam. In a nutshell, that's, that's the argument. This is the best type of da'wah, in my opinion. Because they can't deny that they also value those things. They can't deny that they also value marriage and they value family, they value society. They can't deny it. So then they have no response to this. What about how does liberalism destroy our nature? Have you heard of the concept of transhumanism? Transhumanism is the idea that our bodies are limiting us. What if you want to be an animal? What if you want to be a cat? There are people like this. What if you want to be a dog? What if you want to be a unicorn or a fairy or a dragon? There are people like this. Well, but according to the liberal logic, if you identify as a cat, then you are a cat. If you identify as an elf or a dragon, that's what you are. That's your identity. And liberalism brings the technological advancement to allow you to choose that for yourself. You can choose to be these things. 
if that's what if that's who you are, if that's who you identify as. How do they do this? Well, there's all kinds of technology. There's plastic surgery. Literally, people are getting plastic surgery in order to become, you know, whatever they want. This is the promise of freedom and equality. Everyone is equal. We give this techno this capability to everyone to change their bodies according to their identity. And in fact, the government has to fund this. That's where the equality comes in. The government will fund it from your tax money, from your tax dollars, to for people to get these surgeries. What about, have you heard of Neuralink? Why don't we implant computer chips into the brain so that you can be smarter, you can have these different kinds of mental capabilities. Isn't that amazing? Isn't this freeing? Doesn't this give you so much more liberty to have that kind of power? We can enhance the human being. We can even enhance the human being within the womb. You want a child with certain characteristics? Well, there's all kinds of genetic engineering. What about gender? We, are, we obviously know that if a baby is born with certain genitalia, that doesn't determine their gender, obviously, that would be bigoted. You have to wait until your child is of age to choose his or her or her gender. So how about we actually fix the gender dysphoria by making children be born without any particular genitalia, then when they choose, then technologically we give them a certain treatment and they manifest certain bodily and hormonal characteristics. Isn't that, that's going to create more equality in society. And we are, close, we are getting closer and closer to that kind of techno technology. So this liberalism, this idea of maximizing liberty and equality attacks even the human body, the human nature. They're actually erasing humanity. And this is why liberalism is not only genocidal, it's also satanic. This is also satanic. So this is how we respond to liberalism. We say that, this is one of the strongest responses that we can give, that we're human beings. We care about other institutions in life other than maximizing your pleasure, maximizing your personal choice. That's not everything that there is to life. And whoever says that that's all there is to life is an extremist. Is an extremist, is irrational, is backwards, that's, what, that's our response to liberalism. And that's an argument that they really cannot address, other than to pound their fist on the table and say, no, accept it, otherwise we're going to destroy you. So this is, this is the intellectual high ground that we have. Islam, on the other hand, it preserves marriage. How does it preserve marriage? By instituting hijab. 
by instituting hayat, modesty, instituting gender separation, instituting uh, a prohibition on fornication, instituting punishments for uh, the sexual crimes. Islam is preserving marriage. Islam is protecting marriage. What the liberal portrayed at the beginning, if you recall, they portrayed these things as chains and as obstacles and barriers to your individual freedom. We turn the tables and we say, no, actually, this is what is preserving the valuable institution of marriage that every single human being throughout history has valued. Islam is the champion of marriage. Any ideology or religion that destroys hayat, destroys, uh, that promotes fornication, that's the enemy of marriage. That's the enemy of this institution of marriage. Family, Islam is the best protector and preserver of family. Why? All of the rules of the Sharia, all of the rules of Islamic law. Everything from requiring the mahr, everything from requiring the wali for marriage, everything from uh, ensuring the lineage, preserving lineage so that you know who your father is and your mother is, you, you know where you come from. Do we truly appreciate that as Muslims? That Islam preserves nasab, your lineage? Look at how many people in the world are suffering because of this crime of fornication, that they don't know who their fathers are. Or this, this crime of uh, sperm donation. Do you know how many people are involved in incest and they don't even know it? That they're uh, fornicating with their sister and they don't even know it? Why? Because there's no preservation of lineage. You don't know who your father is or your grandfather is. Their system of maximizing freedom and equality has created this nightmare scenario where people are fornicating with their blood relatives and they don't even know it. Islam solves that in so many ways by prohibiting fornication, by prohibiting uh, this kind of artificial insemination. Islam has all these solutions. Birr al-walidain. Honoring your parents, being good to your parents. Honoring the ties of kinship, being good to your family. This is these are the values that humanity needs. Desperately humanity needs these human these values that are preserved in Islam and championed in Islam. This is why we don't reform our religion for the sake of maximizing freedom and equality. We're humanity's last hope. Islam is humanity's last hope. Do we recognize this? Do we understand this? Relationship with God. This is something every human being needs. Every human being has the fitrah. And this is something that's established scientifically as well. This is something that's established scientifically as well. Because when they, they have done these childhood studies where they interview children and they ask them questions about their beliefs. And they show children, for example, a picture 
of a house and they say, who made this? Say, oh, people made this house. They show them a picture of a car. Who made this? Say, oh, uh, people make cars. Then they show a picture of a flower or a picture of a mountain. And they say to the children, who made this? And they say, God. And what's significant about this is they ask children who are in from atheist households. They ask children from atheist societies, societies that they don't even believe in a creator God, like in Japan. The Japanese culture and religion does not recognize that there is a creator God. But the, child, the Japanese children, before they reach an age where they can be uh, acculturated or indoctrinated by society, they ask those children, who created this or who, who made this? And they say, God. And they even ask the children, well, how do you describe God? And the children don't say a man. They don't say, oh, a man in the sky, that's what God is. Or God is a, you know, blonde hair, blue-eyed European. Or God is an elephant head person with eight arms. They don't say that. They describe God as being someone that has a mind, has a will, but doesn't have a human body. This is children. So this is the fitrah. Children throughout the world, this is how they describe God. So this is, psychologists have recognized that there is an innate developmental concept of God that every child has. This is part of human nature. So this is the fitrah. So every human has an interest to be connected to God, to worship God. This is something that is also in need of preservation. This is what so many human beings in this liberal world are missing. And Islam, of course, we know, is the best at preserving our relationship with Allah. The best path to worshiping Allah. This is what humanity needs. They desperately need this. So all these ways, Islam provides a solution to the cancer that is liberalism. So with that, we can open it for Q&A, inshallah. Yes. So, um, how far into genius of Islam fall, like progressive rights? <laughs> I've been waiting for that forever. Yeah, genius of Islam is in the works. I think we're almost done with the introduction. <laughs> so we might release it as a trailer. <laughs> So I'll ask you guys a question. Is what I said that controversial? Was this so like shocking? Even like, okay, from, you're Muslim, so you're biased. But even if there's a non-Muslim here who's listening, was that really such a terrible speech? Like, I just don't understand the outrage sometimes. Thank you for coming here. Very happy to, to see you. Um, my question was that, um, you know, as Muslim, we have many things that we need to do, like, for example, reading tafsir, memorizing Quran, learning our deen, which are part of the fundamentals of, you know, what a Muslim should do to, to get stronger in his Iman and his Islam. And at the same time, there is, like, what I think is as you explained, the biggest threat in the Western world for Muslim, which is liberalism. So where would you put like 
taking some time to study this thing because it needs to be understand uh, understood, you know, um, because it's it's a big danger that's happening at the moment, and if you're not aware, even if you, I mean, like you're you're protected, you have a protection from Allah if you follow it. But you still need to understand what's going on. Like, for example, what's happening in school, what's happening with feminism, and all these things to protect yourself and your family. So, where would you put, like, you know, studying the effect of liberalism in the scale of, you know, the thing you need to study as a Muslim? That's my question. That's a very good question. So, where would I put the priority? It's it's up there as one of the top priorities in terms of what a Muslim needs to learn. Obviously, there's uh, knowledge, individual obligation that you have to learn certain things about Islam in order to practice properly. Allah is going to question us on our salah, on our zakat, on our practice of the individual obligations, the fara'id. So that is the priority because that's the, those are the first things that we're going to be asked by Allah on Yom Al-Qiyamah. Uh, but the level of priority for studying liberalism is very, very high. Why? Because it's so common. If you look at the Islamic tradition, uh, many of the uh, ideologies or heresies of different sects was studied uh, by the ulama and taught by the ulama and books were written about, you know, the Mu'tazila, for example. Uh, And those in those times, those weren't necessarily as dominant as liberalism is today. And liberalism is much more destructive than i'tizal of, you know, the Mu'tazili theology. Um, liberalism leads to destruction, uh, it leads to ilhad, it leads to atheism, and it leads to um, destruction of humanity. So it is extremely high in priority, but where do you study it? If you go to the university... The universities are the bastions of liberalism. Those are the main, you know, you can say churches of liberalism are the universities. So we have to develop our own institutions uh, to critically deconstruct these ideologies, to write books, to, you know, create videos, to create material. So that's what I'm trying to do with my institutions. Um, But I think that more Muslims need to dedicate resources uh, big resources to fighting these ideologies. And liberalism is is the mother of these ideologies that are attacking Islam and, and humanity. Thank you very much for the explanation of liberalism. Uh, my question is, liberalism is now past what we call Muslim fikri or uh, ideological warfare. Now it's almost like institution. As a Muslim parent who lives here in the Western world, this ideological welfare became more practical now. Yesterday, drag queens were just entertainment. Today is part of the educational curriculum. How we are going to engage since we share same platform, same roof, same system, with this liberalism who became part of the institution rather than ideological warfare. Well, liberalism has always been a part of the institutions. It's not something new. 
um, you know, from if you look at the school system that has existed in the West and the model of schooling in the West has been instituted in the Muslim world, uh, even the most basic aspects of Western education is liberal and is anti-religion. I'll give you a simple example. All schooling assumes that facts are scientific, that truth is determined by science. So when you make this declaration that truth is defined by science, what is true or not true is determined by objective scientific investigation, then that means religion, all religions are false. And this is what they're teaching. They're teaching by implication that all religions are false. This is the bedrock of secular education. So this is why so many Muslims or so many parents, they send their kids to these public schools or schooling in general or universities for generations now. And then we wonder, well, why are so many Muslims becoming atheist or they're losing their religion after going through 12 years, 14 years, 16 years of schooling? So the, the attack on religious values didn't start with drag queens. This is like the culmination. This is like the last, the last stages are, are the drag queens. Um, the attack has been much, you know, th these ideas are so ingrained in all of these institutions. So how, how to address it? Um, my recommendation is we have to have alternatives. We have to have alternatives to schooling, the public school system. So this is part of the work that needs to be done. We need, why can't we have an alternative model, a truly alternative model? We have had in our tradition, in our history, Islamic tradition. How did Muslims for hundreds of years educate their children, socialize their children, prepare their children for adulthood? What is the Islamic methodology of doing this? You think the Sahaba were sending their kids to you know, some school uh, for learning science and social studies. What was the model? This is, this is something that I'm not going to give you the answer. Muslims need to research this in order to revive it. We don't have the same mentality as... That's in general, but specifically we are in the Western world. You and you, how are we going to really protect ourselves from obstacles? Yeah, so I mean, I'm giving you the kind of solution that is going to be relevant for this generation and coming generations. I'm telling you that it's a systematic problem. I can't give you a solution for this one problem of drag queens. So the alternative, if you want to know a, a solution for your own children, for your own family, take them out of this, the school where they have drag queens. If there are school board meetings, this is what many of the Muslims in the U.S. are doing. They're going to school board meetings and they're saying that we have a right as parents to say no to certain changes in the curricula. They're going to the school boards, they're going to the politicians and they're making their voice heard.
But ultimately, I think they're not going to win that battle because there's a certain direction and march of liberal, quote-unquote, progress. So, yeah, you can... Those are the kinds of things you can do. You can take your kids out of school. Homeschooling is an option in Australia. What kind of homeschooling can be done? My, my wife, for example, and I, we homeschool our children in the U.S., so they're protected from drag queens or whatever. But uh, unless the Muslim community is willing to create a homeschooling option on a mass scale, then I don't know what other kinds of solutions you're looking for. Yeah. Any other questions? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm just going to, just before, uh, before just going to give a few questions from the sisters because it's oh, great. a lot. One of them is, to what extent is social media fueling some of these issues? Lack of community and, uh, yeah, e.g., lack of community and human connection due to false impressions of connections with others in a controlled social media environment. Yeah, that's a brilliant point. Um, the social media creates the illusion of, of interaction and human connection. And it's a false, it's a false impression that creates depression, it call, causes anxiety, it causes uh, uh, epidemic of loneliness. Uh, this 2022 was the record high for suicides in the West. People are extremely suicidal uh, because of the loneliness that they experience and the lack of human connection, the lack of real relationships. So this is, social media is fueling a lot of that um, psychologically, but it's also fueling the spread of liberal ideology to the every corner of the globe. So unfortunately, these issues are not just limited to the West. Many Muslim countries are now facing these kinds of, uh, the influence of this kind of liberalization. So we're worried about, you know, drag queens in Australia. They're going to have to worry about that in Egypt and Malaysia and Turkey. Increasingly, this is what the West is going to demand. If you do not have this, these practices, then that means you don't truly abide by human rights and human liberty and equality, and we're going to sanction you. This is what they're, what's on the table now. Okay, what are some books that I suggest um, against liberalism? Uh, it depends on the age, uh, but I wrote a book, uh, Modernist Menace to Islam, and that uh, is a useful book for countering liberal ideologies. Uh, you can easily find the PDF of it online. Um, it's also on Amazon if you prefer a physical copy. Um, but another book that is very good, it was written by a Harvard professor. It's titled Disenchantment of Secular Discourse uh, by Stephen Smith. And I highly recommend that book. It's uh, not too difficult to read, but it's more like high school, college age. Um, and that will really deconstruct a lot of, of liberal ideology. And the question is, if liberalism is everywhere, how do we avoid it best in the West? In, in the West? Uh, so you have to avoid it. You can't avoid it. That's the, that's the point. You can't avoid it. You can't avoid the ideas. It's spreading to every corner of the globe. You have to inoculate yourself 
from these ideas. And you do that by whatever means that you can. You have to protect your children. You have to protect the next generation from these ideas. Every, pretty much the vast majority, let's say 90% of the doubts or shubuhat and questions that our youth have uh, against Islam or about Islam are directly related to liberalism. So, the, for example, the, the whole LGBT issue is tied to liberalism. The whole uh, women's rights issue in Islam, hijab, why are you know women are required to cover their hair but men aren't? This is tied to liberalism because it's co contrary to equality. Many of the rules and regulations in the Sharia related to marriage and family, this is tied to liberalism. The doubts about them are tied to liberalism. When it comes to interfaith, you know, wh why is it just for Allah to punish someone who doesn't believe in Islam? This doubt or shubha, this is tied to liberalism it, because it goes contrary to equality and tolerance. Um, on and on, all of these issues are coming from liberalism. So the best way to protect yourself is to study liberalism and understand what the ideology is really about. And that's that's my work. You know, I'm trying to educate Muslims on this ideology in a way that everyone can understand and understand the response and the answer. To what extent can we oppose liberalism without getting in trouble with the government? That's the question. Uh, so we have uh, a certain amount of leeway um, as of now. Is Are we going to have that same kind of leeway in 10 years or 20 years? Allahu alam. But I think the red line is the ability to educate our children. So in most Western countries as of now, Muslims can educate their own children and therefore pass on Islam to the next generation. You can take your children out of public schools and say, I'm not going to allow my children to be indoctrinated by this liberal ideology where they think that the only thing that is about good and evil is just a matter of maximizing freedom and equality. Uh, but in certain countries, you cannot educate your own children. So I think in those countries, there's no way to resist the liberal influence. I think Muslims should leave those countries. So Sweden is the big example nowadays where they're the governmental, the liberal governmental authorities will break down the door of your house and take your children. If you teach your children, for example, that uh, you should not have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Um, so can Muslims live in, can Muslims resist? That no, so they shouldn't live in such countries. Uh, I go to a private um, Islamic school, but like, like one one incursion, these people they came to a high school, to the high school, and then they started talking about LGBTQ. So what can I do to like, you know, stay away from it and like, not like get involved into this kind of stuff and not get in trouble with other people? Yeah, so you need to have the support of your parents. You need to have the support of other Muslims. If there are other Muslims in your school, you should have the right to opt out, to not participate. And, you know, be respectful. 
be um, you know, very calm, respectful, and straightforward and say, this is against my religion, I can't participate in this. And if they don't understand that, then your parents need to get involved. Just uh, one more question. I'm going to do one more question from the crowd. Uh, our guest is here for the next few weeks, inshallah. Oh, sorry, a few days, somewhere else. He is here for the next few days, and some of these questions, yani, I will make sure that I record and have them answered in the best, uh, to the best of our ability. But just one more question, because we do have another few nights, inshallah. Just one more question. And who's the lucky person? Uh, he put his hand up, of course. <laughs> Wait, is there like a time limit? Is it time You just want to end it? Oh, no, yeah. Oh, it's gadget, because there's more days. Okay. All of you. Sure. Leave them wanting more. Assalamualaikum. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd like to say thank you for your talk. Um, may Allah give you success in your work. Um, I think mean, it's a topic that we all feel very strongly about. Um, I see it everywhere from the yes vote when it happened, working down Richmond, walking down, seeing men dressed as women, men and men doing their business. It's highly offensive to me. So this is like a straight out war on this land and we have to take our own path. I strongly agree with everything that you say. Um, I want to stay in my path. I want to stand strong. We want to raise good Muslims to help fight liberalism. What's our way? Like this is war. But we have to do it in that way where it's not violent and it's not against them. And we do it. It's everywhere. It's apparent. How do you fight? Yeah, it doesn't require. Um, it's a very simple. It's go ahead. People just look at you like you're a bigot. You're wrong, but I'm not wrong. I'm a man of Allah. My heart belongs to Allah. I'm not wrong. Yeah, spineless. Just take that from them and say, oh yeah, put my head down and you know you can take my children too. But they won't change my idea. They won't change your idea. But they are attacking the kids. Yeah, spineless. So may Allah reward you, brother, for. Um, expressing how many of us feel uh, one of the things that people don't do not just muslims just people of conscience they don't say no they don't say that's all that's really needed is just objection say i don't agree with this just register your disagreement if you're silent then the status quo is dictated by the loudest voices and they're satanic voices. So just by registering your objection, it doesn't need to come with any argumentation, any reasoning, just simply saying, I disagree, I don't accept this. Unfortunately, that hasn't been done. Now people are waking up. Why? Because they, it's affecting children and that apparently is a red line. Even though, arguably, the red line was when you, you know, 60 years ago, when you had this so-called sexual revolution, and you normalized zina, you normalized fahisha, that, you know, was a red line. And before that, the red line was, you know, the whole idea of liberalism. So when you, when you say, no, I object, this is wrong, because everyone, you, you'd be surprised how many people are on the side of haq, on the side of decency and morality. And when more and more people stand up and say, no, I object, I disagree, that is in and of itself uh, a movement.
So it, that's all that's required. And when you look at the uh, believers and you look at the Sahaba and the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, you know, they were being tortured. The Sahaba were being tortured by the Quraysh. And Bilal, for example, radiallahu anhu, when he was being tortured and their, his master was putting hot stone, heavy stones on his chest, what was he saying? Ahad and Ahad. That's that. Imagine the power and the weight of those words. That's that's all we need to do. And then up, and then Allah will open up other opportunities and open the way and facilitate. Everything is from Allah. Our our moral duty is just to to say ahad and ahad. Also, what if there is someone who like has a problem with what I've said today, I would like to also hear their question or their objection too. If there's someone who has an objection, su substantive objection to what I presented today. Uh, thanks, Daniel, for the lecture tonight. Uh, as a Muslim, should we partner with other groups to tackle this uh, challenge, this problem? For example, with conservative Christians, maybe join forces? Yeah, as long as, as long as the allyship does not have anything that entails uh, violation of Islam. So uh, seven or eight years ago, I was approached by uh, this conservative Christian group, and they were, you know, the uh, Religious Freedom Institute, dedicated to religious freedom, but they were conservative uh, Christians. And they said, Daniel, you know, you're a Muslim, we like what you're doing, come and join our institute or uh, collaborate with us. And I, at first blush, it sounds great. But then I did more research into them, and it turns out that they're also advocating for religious freedom, these liberal values in the Muslim world. And they're basically pushing for secularization in the Muslim world. So then I said, no, I, this, is this would compromise my values for me to work with you, even though we agree on this domestic issue. So you just have to be careful that there is no strings attached to your allyship, but if it's a Christian group, Jewish group, uh, any group that has these traditional values, check, make sure there are no strings attached, and yeah, of course, why can't you work with them? Um, I just want to say I really appreciate your YouTube videos and your content. It really helps my generation, especially coming from an educational background. I feel like the Muslims are being um, destroyed with all the liberalism and everything. I just had a question regarding um, studying Islam formally. Is it, would you recommend studying Islam formally and is there any certain institutions you recommend to us? Yeah, of course, everyone should pursue knowledge, Islamic knowledge, uh, to some extent formally with shuyukh, uh, mashayikh, and that's uh, definitely my recommendation. Uh, it depends on how far you want to take it. So if this is something that you want to dedicate a lot of time to, then there are plenty of resources and the brothers... Uh, you have Sheikh Abu Ayman here and others, and they can better direct you to their own uh, durus, their own lessons, and other resources that you can apprise yourself of, inshallah. So now I want my work, Kev. Oh, I'm going to sound fly right there. I was wondering, do you have any like, general solutions for uh, young men like, uh, living in this political society? General solutions or recommendations for young men? <laughs> Uh, I think brothers should definitely uh, get together and support each other. 
Um, that is really critical um, because everyone is siloed and in this individualistic atomized society working together and finding good Muslim friends that you can socialize with and you're on the same page, you learn from each other, maybe you, you create a practice of, okay, we're all going to go to Fajr to pray Jama'ah every day or we're going to go, uh, you know, on, on the weekends go camping and, and do these kinds of halal legal activities together. That's a great way for brothers to support each other and um, improve themselves in terms of their religion, in terms of uh, physical discipline, like you have jujitsu here, you have a weight room. These kinds of masculine activities need to be revived and they need to be cherished. So as especially as young men, take care of your religion, take care of your bodies, take care of your need for connection to other men. This is really important in the age of social media and atomization. Salaam alaikum. Salaam alaikum. Thanks for coming to Melbourne, by the way. Uh, it feels surreal to see you actually come here. I'm very surprised we announced you as the key uh, speaker. Um, so just seeing how everything is all becoming really expensive, uh, lifestyle, uh, affording houses, uh, just making a living where the, the husband can't be the sole income earner anymore. And the idea of equity over equality is basically what Islam pursues in the sense that men have certain roles that they are a lot better than doing compared to, let's say, what women can do, and obviously vice versa. Um, how do you... What would you recommend for us to be able to do, or at least some advice to go about these things? Because as a paradigm shift in terms of how, from an economic standpoint, it's hard for just one person to be working, even though we do prefer, let's say, the, the woman to be doing more, uh, the more caring, the more uh, nurturing role. But it is pretty difficult nowadays. So how do you go about that? I would uh, question whether it's really that difficult. Um, there's, I have a friend in Egypt, for example, and Egypt is much more economically hard to live uh, there than in the West. And he kind of had the same kind of mentality, like we need the extra income. I'm working, but if my wife can also earn uh, 20%, 30% of what I earn, that's going to make life a lot easier. Uh, and I told him, well, you know, I disagree. You should try it. Try your wife staying at home, uh, taking care of children, uh, making a house a home. Uh, there's no dollar sign that you can put on that. Uh, that's something invaluable. Try it and see what happens. And he did. Alhamdulillah, he took my advice. And he's been you know, thanking me ever since. And not only him, but he says his wife is happier, he's happier, his daughter is happier. Um, there's, you just can't imagine how different life is when you have that kind of division of your wife staying at home for most of the day, um, being with your child, being with your children, uh, doing things like cooking and cleaning. These are things that are denigrated as being, oh, cooking and cleaning. What am I, the maid? Like this is 
this is a wrong mentality that unfortunately has uh, put been pushed on our sisters. Uh, in reality, you know, what can be more important than home cooked meal? This is what is nourishing your body, your children's bodies, your family, the, the meal, the food that you eat. Um, you know, just having a clean, nice, organized house, you know, what is the v psychological impact of that? Um, this is what the mothers of the believers, the Ummahat and Mu'minin, the best women, the wives of the Prophet, وسلم, they're engaged in this. They were engaged in this kind of work and they were the best, you know, they were the not only the highest in virtue, they were also the highest in intelligence, the highest in character of all women are the mothers of the believers. So they weren't too good to do this important work, but women today are too good for it or too important for it. Like this is the wrong mentality. Um, and the income, so no amount of income is going to replace the value from what the wife brings and the mother brings when she is at home. And so many people can attest to this. And even non-Muslims have recognized this. Like there is a book called The Two Income Trap uh, by Elizabeth Warren, uh, who is a senator. Obviously, I don't agree with a lot of her views. She's essentially a feminist. But she argues that the, the double income actually creates a, a larger financial need and dependence. And the income that the second person brings, the second parent brings, just has to go to childcare and paying for prepared food, eating out, has to go to the, you know, cleaning services and those kinds of needs. So that money just goes, evaporates anyway. So not only are you just in a, in a less stable, less uh, loving home, because there's no one at home, everyone is out in their institutions, the places of work or whatever. But then also that extra money that supposed that all of this is for is not going to actually add up to anything. So I think this kind of myth that you need to have a second income. Um, yeah, for what? I look at people who have this second income. Okay, you have enough money to buy a second car. Is that really like adding so much value to your life. Oh, you, you can take a vacation, like an extra long vacation once a year. Like, is this adding so much value to your life compared to the value of having, you know, a mother, uh, a wife that's going to take care of you and be happier for you? I mean, I could speak endlessly about the benefits. And there is, a, I think, a session that we have on feminism. So we're going to expand on it, inshallah. Assalamualaikum. We just wanted to get your opinion on where do you think this battle with liberalism, um, how will it play out in the next 10 years, especially in the U.S.? Allahu Anam, I think that the liberal world order is being severely challenged now because of multipolarity. We're transitioning from a unipolar world where the U.S. and NATO are the superpowers. Uh, and shifting to multipolarity where you have non-liberal powers like Russia and China who are a legitimate counterweight. So this is good news. 
This is not that I'm a supporter or fan of Russia or Putin or China and the CCP. No, absolutely not. I denounce those regimes uh, just as much as I denounce the American regime. But it's a better situation when you have enemies that are busy fighting each other as opposed to focusing all their energy on fighting you. That's just basic common sense. So let's see what happens. Let's see uh, if, you know, the U.S. doesn't launch nukes <laughs> and uh, start World War III. But if that doesn't happen and these powers rise, then I think it's good news because it means that liberalism is finally going to get punched in the mouth. So I don't even want to put the logo Melo, what you for all your events? Um, I'm... Uh, Starting to be a teacher, inshallah. So at the moment, I'm doing a lot of work uh, placement and things like that. Um, and as you can see, as you can see, inshallah, that a lot of the youth are really passionate about seeing those, you know, your work and everything. So a lot of them also like to get into Andrew Tate. What's your opinion on him? And do we expect an Islamic podcast coming out soon, inshallah? Because a lot of the other podcasts have been doing is just like first, first. random people. <laughs> So yeah, what do you, what do you think? Yeah, we're looking for <laughs> So Andrew Tate, uh, Abu Bugatti, uh, he, um, you know, I, I'll just give the disclaimer straight away. He shouldn't be taken as a role model. He does a lot of things and says a lot of things that are contrary to Islam, unfortunately. Um, I also don't think that he should be written off as a Muslim because he's a new Muslim. He is, um, and I think that he converted sincerely. I think he's, some people claim that, oh, he just converted and became Muslim for clout and for gaining a Muslim market. I don't think that's the case because he gained a lot of enemies when he became Muslim. He alienated his entire Christian fan base which was huge, like a huge fan base. So, but the thing is he's been incarcerated or, or imprisoned. He's, uh, so he hasn't had an opportunity to really learn Islam properly, I think. So we can't have high expectations. At the same time, we shouldn't take him as this kind of religious role model. Um, but yeah, I have high hopes, but when he says certain things, it's disappointing. Like um, he was saying, and I denounced him for that, or I, I said that this is completely wrong. He said like, the what? Yeah, he said certain things about homosexuality. He said certain things about uh, acceptability of other religions. So we have to be very clear because obviously a lot of Muslim youth are following him. We have to make it clear that he's wrong on these issues. As for like a podcast, um, inshallah, I mean, there was an opportunity for me to go and talk to him. Um, but he was uh, put in jail <laughs> or he was, yeah, he was in jail for a long time. So maybe in the future. There hasn't been a Muslim representative that's actually sat down with him. So, yeah, no, he, Muhammad Hijab did a podcast with him um, before he was in jail. So, but yeah, inshallah, I think he needs to be challenged and some of his ideas because they're pushing him to be this kind of you know, conservative, uh, Matt Walsh type, Ben Shapiro type. And that's just another version of liberalism. It's not like a, he, cl he claims that he's challenging the matrix, 
but the matrix is liberalism. So when you say things like, oh, you know, uh, the alphabet people can do whatever they want, uh, then that's not really challenging the matrix that's going, you know, in line with the matrix. So, yeah, we make dua for him and uh, may Allah guide him and that, may that ummah benefit from him. Um, so, a lot of us from the young generation we love spending our time online and uh, often we just keep scrolling through and we watch stories or, or clips. So, a lot of times we uh, listen to certain clips and it's very motivational from scholars. And you know, the hadith are mashallah very good, also, they use and the topics they talk about is very good. But a lot of times, uh, these claimed internet intellectuals or scholars, you may say, do also add biblical spices from liberalism and also push uh, liberal ideology sometimes. But you can see, like, the overall lecture is very good, but in between, there's a little bit of liberalism in there and uh, feminism, whatever it may be. Uh, so, how important do you think it is to avoid? Uh, liberal scholars. Yeah, it's a very important. Oh, the sister can't hear any question, even when it's on the mic. Oh, okay, sorry. So to repeat the question, uh, how much should we avoid um, internet imams and speakers that we really enjoy when they're talking about sirah and where they're talking about hadith and heart softeners, but they interject some feminism and some liberalism in between here and there. Uh, how important it is to avoid those um, speakers. It's very important because, uh, you know, the analogy is if I give you a sandwich or I give you like a shawarma wrap and it has the best ingredients, you know, excellent meat, uh, some hummus, veggies, all the best quality, and I sprinkle some feces in there, you know, are you going to take a big old bite of that shawarma wrap or are you going to avoid it? Uh, the thing is that when it's, you don't necessarily know what are, what is the good and what is the bad. How do you know? Because they will sometimes present hadith or examples of the seer in the seerah of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam or they're giving you tafsir of the Quran and they're presenting it in a liberal way and you won't even realize it. You won't even recognize that that's what they're doing. So once you've identified, like a person can make a mistake. I make mistakes. Uh, if it's just a isolated mistake, they misspoke. That's one thing. Everyone makes mistakes. But when it's a repeated pattern of statements, associations, work that they do, then that's what really they're underlying ideology is is a liberal ideology they're just hiding it from you they're just hiding it and they're hoping that people won't recognize the game that they're playing so when such people have been such speakers have been identified as operating on these liberal principles they should be avoided entirely and it is a complete mis misrepresentation and myth that they themselves perpetuate, by the way, that if you reject those speakers, that means you reject all ulama. You reject all Islamic speakers if you don't listen to them. This is, the, this is a myth that they themselves perpetuate because they want to have a monopoly for your attention and for your dollars and your support. 
in reality, those, those speakers that are sprinkling the feces in their instruction, their Islam, their dawah, quote unquote, uh, they're the minority. They're, the, they're a small minority, selected minority that have been propped up by the liberal powers that be to present themselves as the monopoly, the only game in town. In reality, the vast majority of ulama, the vast majority of imams, they don't have the feces in their speech. And you can go to them and you can learn from them and benefit them a thousand times, a hundred thousand times more than you can benefit from these uh, speakers. Inshallah. Inshallah. So to repeat the question, the brother said that he became Muslim in 2020 around the COVID time and he had more opportunity to research the harms of liberalism uh, during that period and he became Muslim and his question is how many more people is there potential to become Muslim uh, in this you know in the future now that people are seemingly questioning uh, the status quo and I think you know there's millions who and hundreds of millions that inshallah will become Muslim and the big reason for this, and this is why it's prime opportunity for us as Dawah. Like this is the this is the worst moment in history for us to start selling out and start compromising. It's like if we are trying to buy stock, like we're putting all our money, like we're selling Islam and we're buying liberalism at the moment where Islam stock is going way up and liberalism stock is tanking. So this is the worst kind of, to put it in financial terms, the worst kind of investment that you can make. Not only like in dunya we terms, but obviously in terms of the akhirah. People are, re the stock of liberalism is tanking. Like the, the worst, uh, like if you imagine liberalism as a company, as soon as they started putting drag queens in front of children, like <laughs> that's the worst kind of PR move that you can make for your civilizational project. As soon as you start, you know, economically, stagnating and people are who took out these huge loans hundreds of thousands of dollars in loans that they will never pay off for getting a degree and they were promised that oh you get a college degree and you're going to be set for life that turned out to be a lie uh, when you start selling people this idea that oh sexual freedom is going to you know increase your happiness and your pleasure and the suicide rate is through the roof and when you look at specifically for women, their levels of depression have skyrocketed, and we're going to talk about that more tomorrow. It's skyrocketed despite the fact that they're, mo they're the most educated. Women are the most educated they've ever been in history. They are the most empowered that they've ever been in history. They have the most wealth, independent wealth that they've had in history. They have the highest positions in the corporations that they've had in history, but they're also at the most levels of depression and suicidality in history, and drug addiction in history, and alcoholism in history. So that tells you that this promise of, oh, when you are a liberal, and you're a capitalist, and you accept democracy, then you're going to experience all the wealth and prosperity that you can imagine. Oh, turns out it's a lie. It's like a big lie, and we have to deal with drag queens. <laughs> so, there, so that... Since that bubble, the liberal bubble has popped, the stock is tanking, people are selling, and this is a prime opportunity to give them the alternative. This is Islam. So I'm very optimistic. I think we should all be optimistic. 
Now is the time to stay the course, not compromise. Don't compromise on anything. Don't give an, a single inch, right? So I, I get in these debates and they want to push me and they say, oh, in Islam, you accept this? You know, you accept the hudud, you accept, you know, capital punishment for this? You accept, you know, this idea of these practices? And I'll keep it generic just for the sake of, you know. But, yeah, and I say, yeah, of course, I'm, I'm not going to budge on these issues. All of these things are justifiable, they're rational, they're moral. Here's the explanation. I explain in a very calm way, in a respectful way, and they can't say anything. All they can say, they can just shout and call me names. So you lose. You lose if you don't have a response. Your only response is name-calling. That's all they can do. They can pout and slam their fist on the table. Okay, cry about it. <laughs> You know, as I say, just cope, seethe. That's all you got. That's what we, that has to be our attitude with a smile because we're going to win, inshallah. Bithnillah. Okay. Subhan Rabbika Rabbil Aizati Amma Yasifun wa Salamun Alan Mursaleen. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Jazakumullah Khairan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa